welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Rapsodo. Rapsodo, the industry leader in baseball player development technology, has a special offer on their hitting and pitching 2.0 units. Go to rapsodo.com backslash savings and get up to $1,000 off. Trusted by the best in baseball, Rapsodo is used by all 30 MLB teams, 100% of Division I champions since 2010, and 100% of the top 100 prospects in this year's MLB draft. And 100% of the top 100 prospects in this year's MLB draft. Scott Brown, Vanderbilt's pitching coach and associate head coach, had this to say about Rapsodo. Everyone involved in teaching pitchers this day and age could benefit from owning Rapsodo and using it for immediate feedback to educate their pitchers. Again, save up to $1,000 when you decide to train and build champions with Rapsodo. Visit rapsodo.com backslash savings and take advantage of this great offer. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. We are honoring our 2023 award winners heading into the Nashville Convention. Next up on the ABCA podcast is former Horizon High School head coach Eric Kibler. Coach Kibler is being honored with the Dave Kylitz Ethics Award and also going into the ABCA Hall of Fame this year. In 1980, Coach Kibler started the baseball program at Horizon High School. He shaped the landscape of high school and youth baseball in the state of Arizona and nationally with the 2007 National Championship, six 5A state championships, three state runner-ups, seven national invitational championships, and 881 career wins, which is the most in Arizona history. He has an illustrious career in the baseball industry. Over the last four decades, he's racked up many honors, including being inducted into the Arizona Baseball Coaches and the National High School Hall of Fame. He's been an integral part of the USA Baseball and is a member of the ABCA Youth Committee. Let's welcome Coach Kibler to the podcast. You know, short weeks this time of year with the Barnstormers events going on. And then mm-hmm. um, we started uh, with Tom Walter and Carrick Jackson. We are doing a, a youth clinic with the RBI program in the Phillies. So this will nice. be – this is a first for us. We're doing a free coaches clinic. Uh, they don't have to be ABCA members. We're doing a free coaches clinic in the mm-hmm. morning. And then uh, with, like, fifth to seventh grade kids, we're oh, doing, wow. like, a, a practice planning 
deal in the afternoon with a bunch of kids. So should be good. Be great. Here with Eric Kibler, former Horizon High School head coach, 20 region championships, six state championships, all-time NAS coach in Arizona with 808 victories over 38 seasons. Uh, Eric, thanks for jumping on with me. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and we've gotten to connect uh, through the ABCA Youth Committee, but what does this award mean? I mean, it's double duty for you. You're, you got the Dave Kylitz Award, but then uh, you're also going into the ABCA Hall of Fame. Well, it's really humbling. I mean, I didn't expect any of that stuff. When you start coaching, you, you just want to coach and make a difference. And so uh, the ethics one's really special just because what it means and who it represents. And uh, a lot of people have have guided me the right direction. I was smart enough to try to follow most of it. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> hey, how did you get from Ohio to Arizona? Good question. Um, I, I taught five years at Van Wert High School in Ohio, and then I met my wife there. And so we wanted to move out of there. So we just had a van and a dog and decided just to take our jobs and take our chance to move to Arizona because we liked it. And air, and baseball is going to be a little bit better there. So she got. A, she went to ASU for a master's degree. Started her master's degree there. We just took some money out and had six months of uh, money, and we, you know, we were just ready to go. So I haven't looked back since. It's nice, except it's hot out here more often now. It's about four months of summer, man. It's getting crazy. Did you head it's straight to Horizon High School then? No, actually, I taught at uh, Palo Verde Junior High for a year. And then I was an assistant varsity P um, and basketball coach, assistant basketball coach in Paradise Valley High School for two. Then they opened up the new school rise, and that's where I got there. So did you reach out to them, or did they reach out to you about taking over the program and starting the program at Horizon? Well, that was a new school, so I got to start from the ground up. So it was pretty awesome. I mean, a lot of work, but it's kind of fun to start your own program and sink or swim and. You know, I had a bunch of great kids to start with, so they helped me out a lot. I mean, for somebody that's having to do that right now, start. where would you start? Like, you got a blank slate, start a program. Where Where would you start with building a program? Relationships and culture. You got to start with that. I mean, you got to start with working with good people and have good leadership around you. That's where you have to start because if you don't have that, it's going to be a tough road. It's going to be an uphill slide. Did you know coming out at undergrad that you were going to coach? I did. Yeah. I coached at the Ohio school for the deaf during school at Ohio state. And so that was a great experience coaching those kids. I mean, they, they taught me a lot, a lot of patience, but they were very intense, paid attention and they were great kids. So I, that was really fun for me. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. And, you know, uh, sports made a big difference to me. My dad coached me in um, baseball. So he had a big influence on my life too, just going into coach because it made such a difference in our community. Because you're starting from scratch at Horizon, I mean, what resources did you lean on or who did you lean on to, to get things going? That's good. Well, we, we just had a field with a softball fence. <laughs> that was it. So we had to fundraise as much as we could. So it took a while for the facility to get up to speed, but there wasn't much there. It was just kind of desert land and do what you can do on a yearly basis. But it was hard. I mean, Kind of lean on family and lean on the coach that I was with and lean on people that I knew had done this before. And so uh, the first, uh, you'll laugh at this, the first speaker I ever heard in my life was Gordy Gillespie. I was out of my seat. I'm going, oh my gosh, that's the first guy I ever heard. And he was awesome. That's, and then I heard John Scalinas later on. I'm going, man, 
talk about two guys just influenced. I mean, I was ready to go play right then. <laughs> was it intimidating though? You look at those guys and you're like, I don't know if I can get to that level. Yeah, I didn't compare it. I just love their enthusiasm, their straightforwardness and their honesty and just what they, just who they were. So I didn't really try to compare myself. I just thought I'm just going to, I just love what they did. And I thought, you know, I can take that with me, their enthusiasm and how they, how they thought about the game and how they thought about people and just how they did went about their business. So I was lucky to have those two guys right off the bat. What type of fundraising did you guys do then to try to get things going? <laughs> Every coach in the world would, that was some of the stuff we did. We sold gym bags. We sold candles. We sold anything you could sell. <laughs> so, I mean, and we were limited in our fundraising. So the first five years was difficult. It really was. So we didn't have much, but we did what we could do. And then a uh, new principal came in and allowed me to do more, more stuff. It makes a huge difference on the who fundraising your administration is, a, is. Yeah. And you can talk to a lot of coach. Fundraising is not fun. <laughs> No, it's not. But it's necessary. Yes, Gotta it's a necessary it. evil. Who's the best player to come out of Horizon High School? Oh, wow, that's a tough one. I think Brandon Wood is probably the best position player to come out. And then Jared Berkowitz, Ryan Mills, and Tim Allison were pitchers that came out of there. We're uh, not just good players, but good people. And, um, yeah, they really helped our program out. I mean, you have those guys on the mound, you're a lot better coach. I mean, what is the separator? Your guys that got a chance to go on a pro ball in college, what was a separator for those guys besides talent? Well, I think some struggle with the, the going into the, I mean, Brandon, Tim, Ryan went to ASU, so he went to college first, but the other two were first-round draft picks. They went into it. I think the struggle is like any struggle. It's like a whole different culture, and it's, you're trying to make it yourself and then you're with a whole bunch of different people and then you know you're with a bunch of guys and all of a sudden failure becomes real and it wasn't as real when you're in high school you're just dominating and then all of a sudden you have some failure and sometimes it's hard to handle unless you have somebody along with you that can mentor you a little bit which is usually an older person's been through it so I think they struggled that way on the mental part of it I mean I think a lot of guys do when they they get to a level when they're first round draft picks their expectations overwhelm them so they're good enough. I think some of the stuff that happened to them was just unfortunate. But I mean, they, uh, Brandon played in the major leagues for a while, but it was a tough road for him to hoe because he really never got consistent playing time to prove himself. And that's similar to your maybe your average high school kid that's coming from grade school to high school. How are you helping those guys make the transition from grade school to now coming to high school to play? What I did, I started clinics right away. I started camps right away. So I knew kids when they were eight years old. Some of them I knew, they were with me for all that time. So they knew the coach, they knew who I was, knew my coaching staff. And then we do a lot of clinics, a lot of managers clinics with people around the community in our high school. So that was really, I mean, it's a lot of work, but the tough part about that is you have an eight-year-old that wants to be in your program. He comes every year, he's a great kid and he isn't able to make your team. That is a tough conversation sitting with a kid. Cause you want to keep them all cause they're such great kids, but they knew what they were getting into. And some of them maybe didn't like the coach cause we were pretty demanding as far as discipline and, and character and, and doing it the right way. And some kids struggle with that, to be honest with you, even at a younger age, <laughs> held accountable. So, but I mean, that helped us. Cause I knew, I knew every kid almost that came into our program. I think that's a common theme for a lot of the better high school programs out there is they have feeder programs with mm -hmm. their youth leagues. I think it's necessary. It's necessary to involve the parents, even at that age. I mean, 
when they come and the kids waking up and they're having fun playing, that's, a, that's, and just keep them going. You know, you have to be a great coach fundamentally, but if you keep the spark and the, the love of the game going, I think that's a very successful youth coach, not about the wins and losses and the tournaments and all that stuff. How long did it take you guys to win your first state championship? Ooh, we started with 82, 13 years. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that, that's a good example showing of, of how long it does actually take to build something. Oh, it does. I mean, like out here, it just, it took some time. You know what I mean? We were, we went to the semifinals and uh, the quarters before that, but we never really went to finals. First time we went to finals in 95, we won it, but you got to be patient. I mean, I mean, that's an end goal, but it's just the process of getting there. This, the journey was more fun for me than actually the game. And then I, you'll laugh at this. I feel embarrassed saying this, but I didn't enjoy it as much as I should have because I, because we had a lot of kids come back. And then one of my players says, repeat. Then he got, I'm walking up the stairs of the stadium. I'm going, man, I was just about ready to enjoy this. Then now he's got me thinking about next year already. <laughs> I'm going, can you just relax and enjoy it? And I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I should have. That's true. How did that team do the next year? We won it. So I threw it out there. He was right. <laughs> He's a funny kid. He went to Miami and played. He was a catch for us. He was hilarious. And that's I mean, the I, unique thing with that. high school, too, is it's in cycles. You can't really recruit. I mean, I know some of the private schools can, but you can't really recruit. So you're kind of beholden to who shows up on campus. But it, it seems like you get in those cycles where – you have kids that maybe in their peer group or class behind them had played together growing up and they're good. And it just seemed like they all kind of arrive at the same time. That's true. And I love just playing with the boys in the hood, you know, cause I, you know, like I had those kids and I mean, I would be ashamed of myself. If I recruited because I had those kids in camp for all those years, they're coming up to play and like people wanted to come in. I think I decruited more than anything. I'm going, I'm just, I'm just happy with the kids that are in my neighborhood you can come here, but there's no guarantees. They always want a guarantee. It's hilarious. Some of the conversations were funny. Yeah, as a coach, what do you feel like helped your players the most? I think the honesty and straightforwardness of who we are, the process, what we're trying to do. Uh, relationships were really important to me. And um, I think I modeled that pretty well. Like having... I, I wish as a younger coach, I would have been more relation, but a younger coach, you're a little bit more different. You're into winning and establishing yourself and all that kind of stuff. But I think um, developing personal relationships with your kids and having them own their own, you know, own what they do on the field. Cause I always said, practices are for me, the games were you guys. I mean, you got to go on play. I'm not going to coach that much. You know, I'm going to strategize, but for the most part, I'm going to let you go. Cause if I did my job, I should send the bleachers watch you play. And so I think we established a lot of kids are really close to this date. I mean, that's what makes me feel good. They'll come back, they have their kids. But I mean, a lot of kids really develop some great relationships. Kids didn't even know all of a sudden they're fast friends forever. You know, I mean, they're friends for life. So I think that's the, I know we get into the, the, the X's and O's and all the fundamentals and the hitting stuff and the pitching stuff. But if you don't have a positive culture, it, it's going to, backfire on you it's just not much it's not fun you can win a state championship and it can be not fun in my opinion i mean when you say positive culture what are some examples of, of positive culture <clears throat> having fun at practice and having competition at practice and trying to get one percent better um, being a couple of each other being able to joke with each other i mean one of the funniest things i took as a compliment 
years ago, some of the kids came up after a game and we were joking. And I mean, our coaches were joking with each other and we're pretty loose in the dugout. We're just talking don't take this wrong, but you're a bunch of old guys having a lot of fun in the dugout. I goes, we kind of like that. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I mean, they're, they're going to put enough pressure on themselves with, you know, everybody's result oriented except on the field. I mean, we're more processed. Right? Everybody's telling them, did you win? How many hits you get? All that kind of stuff. So I think they enjoyed the experience of practice and we did some crazy stuff in practice for competition. And I think they always enjoyed that. I really do. So if you got to make it fun, but I, I held them accountable though. I'm boasting that I wasn't strict as I was, especially on behavior. I mean, what, what are some of those competitive things you would do with them that maybe you think is, is crazy or, or I, I don't think they, in my view, probably not crazy to me because I've had some crazy stuff happen, but I mean, what, what well, kind of crazy one of, stuff? I'd take a PO or somebody could not hit at all. Okay. I'd choose him right after the season started. I go, he's my pizza guy. I'll let him hit in practice. If he ever hits it out, I'll buy y'all pizza. I was pretty, pretty good about, you know, been on a couple of windy days. I had a kid, you know, they come up and they hit and the place would go nuts. I mean, they would dogpile on this guy. And I always lost pizza every year, but the pizza guy was a really fun event for us. And then um, just at the end of practice, sometimes we do the opposite, opposite field hitting or opposite, opposite way hitting and we choose teams. And heck, I found some kids hit better left than they did right and they started to hit left. We did throwing stuff. We just all kinds of stupid competition. Like, run to third base instead of first base and, you know, just reverse the whole field and just stuff like that, just to loosen them up. Cause the more tense, I think the game is sometimes you're playing a big, I, I'll give you an example before state championship, the Friday night before state championship Saturday, our practice was hilarious and we had so much fun. It was like one of those loose practices where we're just getting a mindset. Hey, we belong here. This is our tournament to win, but, and we didn't want to get by hurt, but we had our, my assistant coach was hilarious. He, come up with all kinds of stuff. So we're pretty loose that way. So stuff like that. Then they come back and they talk about that sometimes. Not when it's say, do you remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? That was so fun. And so I think you got to do those things too. Did pizza guy ever work his way into the lineup? Um, as a pitcher. Yeah. As a hitter. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, Oh no, this is a good story. One of the pizza guys was, uh, <clears throat> he batted a thousand in his career at horizon. He's a left-handed guy. The senior year wasn't what it was going to be, but, so we were nine and nothing on this team and you could tend to run rule himself. So I put him up to plate. It was in the sixth inning. I'm going, okay. I mean, it's his first at bat of the year and it's late in the year. Kids are going crazy. What's he do? He hits a home run. He does a walk off home run. He never bats again. I mean, that was one of the best moments ever. I mean, the kids are great kid. It always remind me I should hit more coach. Of course. Get up, but he hits it out. He's the pizza guy. And again, so you can tell I, I paid for that one. <laughs> you know, you had a lot of players go to the next level. How do you balance maybe what's best for the individual player, what's best for the program? Just being perfectly honest with them. You know, like I will sit down with them, like, you know, the recruiting is kind of wild the way it is, but do you want to play? And I would ask them questions. I mean, be honest with me, is academics more important than baseball? Is baseball more important than academics? And you know, some kids feel baseball is pretty important to me. And I go, well, do you want to play right away? Or do you want to go to a place where you can maybe not play, but it's a bigger school and all those things. And, you know, like I would ask them all those questions and their parents I'd bring in too. I'd help them that because that's, I mean, they, everybody thinks they're a D1 athlete and they're not, but once they found out that D3 schools play really well and they have a great experience, student teacher ratio is great. They go and they play all the time. 
and they realize that baseball is part of life, but it's not life. And they have such a great experience doing that and meeting people on a, a smaller scale. But I was just honest with them. I go, here's why I think you can play, but what, and I'd always ask, what do you think? What, what, what do you want out of this? And um, I'd tell them how to email coaches and, and what to say. And, and I'd let the parents in on this because I think it's important that they know. But I mean, sometimes the parents didn't like my honesty you know, because the kid they thought was a lot better is draftable and they're not. And the kid's great and the kids kids know and they're okay with it. And so what happens is some of the kids that play D3 or D2 or NAI and uh, they will come back and talk to these kids. Hey, let me tell you something. Go, if you want to play, this is a great experience. I, was, I wanted to play at D1, but you know what? I This is the best experience of my life. I got to play, I got to meet a lot of good people. So Honesty was always important. I was, and they asked, I would ask them, you know, what do you think? What do you want out of this? And if you go to a university and it basically doesn't work out, would you stay there? Because you're choosing because of a lot of different reasons. A lot of Arizona kids do not want to go to cold weather, though. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> Spoiled. <laughs> it's usually the reverse. You got all these upper Midwest kids going down there for junior mm-hmm. college, and then they, they may bounce back. Uh, yeah, that's options. true. Yeah. Our junior college system is really great out here, too. It's awesome. It's really good. That's awesome. Yeah, it really it's is. Tremendous. Yeah. You have extensive background in pitching. I mean, how did you balance that with your head coaching duties? And were you the pitching coach also, or did you hand that over to somebody else? I was because no one wanted it. Yeah. I wanted to work for Luke. That's coaching, isn't it? It I mean, is. It's though. like, okay, nobody wants to do this. I guess I got to take it over. Animals, so they're like, you need, need sports psychology degree, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I love them, but, um, I, I did it all the time. And as well as I always delegated my, like had a catching guy and hitting pretty much. We wanted kids to have their head coach was their position coach. That's why I told him to go, if you're, if the infield coach comes to me and he says, I think you should start 99.9% of the time, I'll listen to him. So don't think I'm just the head coach. He's the head coach of what he's doing. And I delegated great coaches. So I was able to do that. But they understood how much, how important their their position coaches were. So, I mean, you have to have the same terminology. You can't have, like, hitting can get crazy in a high school situation where four coaches are talking about the four different things to a hitter. I didn't want that to happen. So we we did a pretty good job of that. But pitching was, you know, I I went to a lot of clinics. I listened to a lot of people that I think are really important that that really spend their life on pitching. I listened to those guys because they're spending their life on how to pitch and how to take care of them pitchers. And I was really strict about pitching too much or, and um, I was, I know I pitched from the stretch early on because I thought they needed, it was easier mechanically. So when they were freshmen, I know I took a lot of heat for this. I mean, throw fastballs and change-ups. We experimented with curveballs, but that was our main two pitches. Locate them, get your mechanics great and pitch and pitch from the stretch the whole time. And then when you want to wind up and you're solid, then we did. So I took some heat for that, but kids were great about it. You know, I know they wanted to throw brain pitches, but they realized the changeup was pretty good pitch and a located fastball was pretty hard to hit, especially in high school. So, I mean, I, I listened to a lot of people, I mean, from the sports medicine standpoint. So we've never had Tommy John. I never helped pitch kids at all. I mean, I thought it was important that they understood the buildup of it and how important it was to take care of their arms and, I'm really anal about a throwing program. I mean, I'm always out there with them when they're warming up. I mean, they hated it. I'm out there. You know, I was just on them all the time about throwing. But we didn't have injuries. I mean, we did, we did 
Alan Jagger came to our field a few times and he was, that's a good presentation to have and watch what we did. And so he was, it's really beneficial having him there sometimes too. So you stayed with the, the Jagger long toss? We did, but I mean, I, I think every kid's different, but I, I like, I like the longevity of throwing a little longer and getting loose. I mean, our typical practice was we would do a dynamic stretch for eight minutes. We go do J bands. By that time we're 15 minutes in with sweating, we're loose and we threw. And then we had the program where we threw some kids. I said, it's up to you how long you go. It depends how you feel. You listen to your arm. And we talked about what does it mean to listen to your arm? Cause you gotta educate them because kids are just going to throw. They're not going to talk to you. I was the same way. My arm hurt. Oh no, it's great coach. You know, so you got to watch their mechanics of velocity and the elbow drops or something's wrong. And so you bring them aside because they don't want to compete, but we had a really good, we had a really good um, run of no arm problems though. Because I, mean, I emphasize it. Because some things have evolved about pitching, and and there's some tried and true things that have happened forever with a warm up and making sure you're getting the body going before you start playing catch. That's been around forever from a longevity yeah. standpoint. But oh, what yeah. do you what do you feel like has evolved on the pitching side from when you first started? You mean got better or worse? Uh, e both. You know, I've thought about this a lot. I've talked to Alan about it a lot. You know, I think one thing that I don't know even how you do this with youth with club ball. You have a practice a week or maybe two practices and you play games. Well, you're not throwing the rest of the time. Yep. And that's a problem. Yep. I think the more you throw, I get to high school, a lot of times your arm problems go away because you're throwing every day. Yep. And you have a system where you're throwing. So I don't know how to stop that. But Take a bucket of balls and go to a field somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I think if you throw more at that younger age, I, I don't think your arm problems happen that way because you're asking kids to throw. I mean, it's a crazy, you know, this. we're working with you. I know the answer to it, but it's crazy to play five, three games in a day. You know, I mean, I think that's insane. And I, I just, I mean, first of all, kids pitching and then you might catch the next day or, you know, I mean, then he's playing another position. He's, he's nine years old or 10 years old and he's out there, he plays five games in a weekend. We wouldn't ask a grown man to do that. So I think there's, that's, I think that's where they get hurt a little bit because of the fatigue of it. And they don't throw mechanically very well sometimes. They're trying to flip curveballs with their arm all over the place. And so, I mean, that's a tough, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. I wish I did, but I think if they threw more. Yes. I think we not off more. the mound, but, uh, you know, flat yeah. ground and, and just yeah. play catch and just, keep the just arm play moving. Catch. Yes. And that's condition the arm. Younger. We play catch a lot. Yes. Condition the arm. Yeah. Condition. I agree. So, I mean, it's a, I think. I'm not sure of this, but I think if you look at kids that throw really hard early, like a 15, you're throwing 95. I think if you follow those kids, they get 90 when they're in high school, maybe 100. I don't know if they're ready to do that. I mean, structurally, I, I, I don't know how many of those kids get hurt or have Tommy John because you're asking your arm to explode, I mean, at a great rate, and you're not even a grown man yet. I don't know. I mean, I know it's everybody loves the great our gun, and we're in love with it, and we love the kid that throws hard, but I'm in love with the kid can pitch and stay healthy and stay healthy for you sure. Know, I mean, sometimes it, even if I had a kid that threw 95, which I never did, but if I did, I think I would tone him down a little bit and then just work on how to pitch and then not try to overthrow it not throw 95 all the time, you know, not to try to hump it up because he's at the radar gun behind. And, and we're part of that. I mean, scouts go on the radar again. The kids are told some D1 programs, oh, if you don't throw 90, you can't play here. I've seen some great pitches at, in D1 levels that just screw people up that aren't throwing 90. They know how to pitch. 
well, how easy can you throw hard? I love that term. Like how <laughs> easy can term. you throw hard? And yeah. you know, that's a sequencing thing. The body's working together better. The arm's staying loose. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, it's more on the lower half than it is on the arm. I just, it you is. know, we've gotten that point now where, you know, that, that is going to be a kid's first reaction once the radar gums come, comes out is mm -hmm. they want to tighten up to see how hard they can throw. And it's, it's when the then they go to a opposite. showcase and, and their arms not loose, they go to showcase in the off season, they try to burn the radar gun and they can blow their arm out. I mean, it's, that's a vicious cycle, but I think there's better pitching now though. I mean, I see kids that can really pitch at a younger level. I mean, you really pitch and, and they command it. I mean, they actually have good command. Even at the major leagues, you watch those guys that walk people. A lot of times, that that's the deciding factor in winning an MLB playoff game. You walk guys, and they score early because they're certainly not hitting them. Sometimes <laughs> yeah, you, you've seen it already in these playoffs. The big innings yeah. have been a, a walk or an air, and then a, mm -hmm. a home run. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even at that level, yeah. How's so the Arizona? The biggest... How's the Arizona School of Baseball been for you? It's it's just. I mean, it's nothing big. It's just a couple of teams we had. And I coached my grandson's team. Now he's a freshman in high school at Horizon. So I don't coach him anymore. But I coached that for three years, which was great because we practiced more than we played, learned a lot. By the end, I was practicing just like a varsity team. And they loved it because it was really fast paced and it was less than two hours and we were going. So they liked that part of it. And all the stuff we do is stupid stuff we do with high school kids. We did with them and they liked the competition too. But then we have another team that's 12 right now, but I'm nothing big. I mean, it's nothing big at all. I mean, I, I want to keep it that way. So I don't, I don't want to be one of those people that has 20 teams. I mean, I want to control, I'm a control freak, I guess. I just want to control the product out there. So, I mean, former player of mine coaches, the other team, the 12 U team and all my coaches that I've had with me have been my former players. And what's great about that is when I get on these kids, they're, they're happy to listen to them more than me, which I'm totally cool with, you know, cause, and they're, and they love them. I mean, these kids do such a good job with the kids, but they, you know, they've had some success on another level. And so they listen to those kids. And that's yeah. part of setting them up for success. Correct. Like you're, you're doing it like the high school cause they are going to go play high school baseball at some point. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're a little bit more acclimated to the high school schedule that way. They are. They're more acclimated to a practice like that, what's expected of them. And, you know, just learning the game and, and not worrying about anything else and having fun learning the game. And I think they did. I mean, those kids, young kids are so hard on themselves. That's what I found out. It's like, my, my gosh, geez, come here. This is not life or death here. <laughs> Let's have more fun. I mean, you're, you're going to fail. I, and I, I would tell me, you know, some guys that are great hitters in the major leagues go 0 for 4. They strike out four times the next game, they hit three home runs. You think they're worried about it? Do you think that they don't think they're a good hitter after 0 for 4? They do. They just go to the next day. When you learn that, you're going to be really good. And so we've really progressed. I think I progressed more mentally with those kids from 12, 13, 14 than I did physically. I mean, because I, I see them out there and they handle failure so much better now because it's okay because it's going to happen. It's like you can really use that as a teaching, as you well know. Yeah. Are you spending some time on breathing routines with those young guys? We do. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Best place to start. It is. No doubt. Best Anybody can to... use it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Even at younger ages, younger than you think. They even need it more because they're going to get wound yeah. up at times way more. <laughs> You're seeing oh, yeah. a kid I mean, throw hard for the first time, you know, yeah. balls coming off the bat harder. You know, it's just, yeah. they need it more than the older guys sometimes. Oh yeah. Yeah, they do. You're right. How'd you get involved with USA baseball? Um, George Sanchez asked me to coach with him in 2009. I just retired as a teacher. 
Um, and um, I thought about doing it before, but I was so busy with camps and clinics with my guys. So he asked me to be on staff. I felt bad about it because I know you got to really work yourself up into that. But he wanted me to be the assistant on the 2009-16 U team. So I did that and it was a tremendous experience. I mean, it was it's just, not, I can't tell you what an experience was, it was awesome. Then the next year, um, they asked me to be manager of the 2010-16 U team, which was the Pan Am Games in Mexico. And then, then, then they asked me to do design and facilitate the development program there when they started the development program. So I did that and continued to do that until they hired somebody that does that now. But that's how I got involved. I mean, I really appreciate their trust in me and, and the opportunities they gave me. And in 2015, I helped coach the 18U team in Japan, which is, that was an unbelievable game. I mean, that was an unbelievable time there. I mean, playing Japan in Japan for the gold medal was, what a game. That was fun. But I mean, it was, I like what they do. I mean, they stand for, it's like how they discipline, how they run things. They're so organized and working with the people there were great. So, I mean, it was just, it's just a whole different experience. And working with the kids, I mean, I mean, look, how good a coach can you be? I had in my 2010 team, I had Matt Olson at first, Alex Bregman at second, Corey Seager at short. I mean, and they're all like major league players. I mean, and mentally they were right, they were right there. I mean, they're incredible. I mean, I mean, I better win. <laughs> I mean, those guys, but look what those guys have done. Holy cow. I think about that. I go, those guys were in our infield at one time. And you and put the were, high school I, manual together for USA baseball, correct? I did. Yeah. I mean, where'd you start with that? And when, when you're going to have a blank slate manual, where's the first place you yeah. start? I just started writing stuff down. What, what I did is I based on what I would want to know as a high school coach, everything from start to finish, like parents, school, all the mental aspect of balancing your family with it. So I, I started with that general scope of, okay, if I was a young coach, <clears throat> what would I like to look at in a manual? Just not X and O's, but the whole thing. So it took me a while. I mean, my daughter's a writer and I really respect writers because some days you would sit there and you just blank out and other days you go four hours just crazy. And then you go blank again. I'm going, I really, so it's 80 some pages, which I've never read anything like that. And I know some of the sports medicine stuff was somebody else, but pretty much it was what I, I got and I mulled over it a lot. And so it was finished. I'm pretty proud of it. Cause I think I had enough experience to write it, knowing what happens from start to finish as a young coach moving up and what would be valuable. And, and so it was, it was, it was fun to write, but it was, it was, it was challenging. I mean, it really was, but I really appreciate them allowing me to do it. And, and then they took some of that stuff for the youth, the 14 under one or the new one that they did. Yeah. So, those was, elite yeah. writers, they tell you, just, you have to sit down like, and, and just start writing, like just every, that's part of their routine that the high end writers, they sit down at the same time every day and they just start writing. And yeah. then they'll get some decent stuff out of it. And some days they, they'll get great stuff. Some days they won't, but it's just the, the, the habit and routine of writing every day. I so respect them now. I'm going, Oh my gosh, how the frustration of it go, but this is horrible. Who would want to read this? <laughs> That's what <laughs> oh editors are for. <laughs> <laughs> what have you enjoyed about the ABCA youth committee? I, I just think that's where it is. Yeah. I think that's the, the, the heart and soul of the sport. Yes. I just do. I mean, I think my freshman coach in high school is the heart and soul. I mean, you got to have a good freshman coach. I mean, that's where it all begins. But I think the youth thing is just a passion because I had such a great experience when I was a youth. I grew up in a farming community. My dad coached me. 
and it was the first team we ever had. We had we were in blue jeans and a t-shirt and a hat and went and played all these super duper schools and, and places and we ended up pretty good beating a lot of them. So I mean it was like it meant so much to our community as young kids. We just came together and worked on the field, played on the field and it just meant it was life changing for all our kids. I mean, so I think that's, I just, even, even today, some of them will say, remember when we did this, it was so awesome. I, I just forget the times we had as, as kids with no parents, just go play, make up our own games in the field. And um, I think the youth committee is the heart and soul of it. It's difficult because there's, it's complicated. There's so many um, tentacles out there of how people think it should be done. And you have a lot of parents and factors and coaches and programs that it, they need to make money because that's their livelihood. I get it, but it's, but it's still the grassroots of, did the kid enjoy playing the sport and what did he get from it? You know, I mean, that's, if we can keep him going, keep playing, keep him having fun. I think that's, that's the basis of it all. And it's hard, you know, you're right in the middle of it, right. but you guys are doing a great it. job. I mean, it's come a long Trying. way. I mean, Trying. the education come a long way. There's no excuse for anybody not to be educated on it. None. Would you yeah. like to see multi-sport athletes come back? Absolutely. I'm mean, me too. Oh gosh. Yes. Yeah. I was just reading Eric Cressy's thing about multi-sport athletes. He was talking about what the difference in kids nowadays. They don't play. They don't went out. When we went out, we just played. We played everything and we probably didn't get injured at all. And and there was not this pressure of, oh, I'm a one sport athlete. Even if you do martial arts or something else, do something different. But you know, I mean, how do you? Think? I get bored doing one thing right now as an adult. I mean, I, me too. I get bored with it. Just so I mean, how do you how now. do you present that? How do you think you can get that accomplished in the youth? I mean, because club baseball sometimes is year round. It drives me crazy. So and then there's the pressure of the kid. I feel sorry for the kid. Well, if I don't play here and I got to play here, I got to play there. And then they're playing two sports at one time, which is not good. I'm paying for playing for two clubs at one time. I don't know. What do you? I. I I don't know if you put the toothpaste back in, but again, there was designated seasons for sports. Yes. I mean, it really, you, you flowed with the different seasons. And so you knew when it was fall, it was probably yeah. football or basketball <laughs> or football yeah. or soccer. Winter time was going to be basketball. Spring was, was flowing into baseball. I also played tennis growing up too. So it yeah, was like, too. there was a lot of stuff going on, but you just knew that, okay, when, when that competitive season mm -hmm. ended, it was time to go get ready for the for the next one. Um, but you know, it's I, hard to you, promote you see that. both I mean, sides of it. I mean, you, you I do. I mean, I think when they get older, they're looking yes. okay. If you're in a big school, it's, it's a big time program. You're going. If I play basketball and football and baseball, and baseball is a sport I think I'm better at, I might lose it. I might get behind, and you know, I mean, they they have that fear of like, well, if I don't play the coach, and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I understand where they're coming from at that level, and sometimes by their junior year, maybe they do want to specialize and get better. I mean, I see that, but when you're in a small school, you got to play them all, right? And you're yes, allowed you to play to. them all because you have to. Bigger schools, you're looking at their baseball, their football program, their basketball program, go, man, if I don't emphasize, I probably won't play. And I get that. I do. That's a tough one. I love multi-sport athletes. Most major leaguers are. A lot of them. A lot of them. A lot of them. Yeah, a lot of them are. Yeah. But you know that somebody will come at you and be like, "Well, they're they're really athletic," which they are. They are. <laughs> but they you are. know, you have some outliers too that 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 make it, and maybe that's the one sport. So I mean, there's there's so many different. You said tentacles. There's so many different tentacles to that. That 
you know, there, it's all gray area. Um, but, but really that the health piece, I don't think you can deny that trying to, to real demarcate those seasons to where you are mm-hmm. shutting that sport down for a little bit. Yeah. You can't deny that that's going to be healthier yeah. for somebody. And I think it's just not physical health. I think a lot of it's mental health. I mean, I really do. I mean, allow the kid to be a kid, but it's, there's pressure on them, you know, that they, I got to do this or I'm not going to be here. I mean, I once did a clinic. You'll laugh at this. I once did a clinic. This guy was coaching eight-year-olds, and I told him about just learn how to throw. Don't throw curveballs. Just learn how to throw. And he, he walked out. He yelled at me. He goes, I can't believe what you just said to me. If I don't develop the eight-year-old in the curve, throwing a curveball, I'm just destroying his major league career. <laughs> Honestly, God. So he walked out of the clinic, and I'm going, okay. I mean, that's just, to me, that's scary, bizarre. It is. Well, it's lack of education. <laughs> it's just crazy, but I don't know. I mean, I know, I think you're doing, I know you're doing the right things and I think you're presenting it the right way and education the right way. It's just that people make choices yeah. and, you know, sometimes I think you need to ask your kid without the pressure of, Hey, cause I remember my daughter, I'll tell you this. She was a really good softball player at 12. She, I'll never forget this conversation. We're driving her home from a tournament game. She was a good hitter. She was a good player. And she goes, dad, I got to ask you something. Would you mind if I don't play softball next year? I go, no, just tell me why. I, that's fine with me. He goes, well, take today. I played center field. I got on base twice. I stole once. I backed up everything, didn't get a ball. It's not enough for me. It's not enough action. Beautiful. Is that the right reason or what? <laughs> yeah, for her, for sure. Definitely. I mean, so, I mean, I ended and, you know, she thought, because I was a baseball coach, I said, you do what you want to do and play. And she played them all in high school. So, I mean, it was fun. But I mean, like, I thought it was great to let them, let them have the avenue to talk like this. I think they're afraid to disappoint their parents. Like, hey, definitely. It's okay if I just go play something else for a while. I don't know. I think in the off season, like for the little league kids, just give them a YMCA basketball league with each other and play. Have them in a rec league and play basketball. If you want to do something different together, because you still take your team together and do something else. Do an indoor soccer or something. I don't know. Do something. But, do you, do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now was one of the best things that happened to you? Ooh, well, when I was a younger coach, I can tell you this, and this is a younger coach for this, this, I was pretty intense. My first job in Ohio as head coach right out of high school, right out of college. And there was this one time that I really humiliated a kid on the field. He made an air and he was kind of loafing around in practice and, I just lit him up. I mean, lit him up in the game, on the field. And then he came in, I lit him up. And then I realized that I destroyed him. I humiliated him. And so <clears throat> after the game, I realized what I had done. And, I, and I, it was a deciding moment. I got the team together and go, look, your head coach made a big mistake today. I, go, I took something really personal. I said, I don't want that to ever happen again. I want to apologize to this kid. And I want to apologize to you as your coach. I go, that's something that should never happen. If it happens again, I'm going to fire myself. I said, that just shouldn't happen. That was a deciding moment for me because I realized I just almost destroyed a kid out there and it really broke me up. I mean, I'm going, what did I just do? Because that's my own ego. So as a younger coach, you get into that habit. But as an older coach, deciding moments, oh, wow. I was going to resign one time because I just wasn't allowed to do what I wanted to do at Horizon. And they just stymied me like in 1991. I said, I... I can't do what I want to do for this community and this youth. And I can't do this program because you don't let me do it. And I said, I'm not costing you money. Just let me do it. 
And so a new principal came in and he said, down, he goes, I'm not going to take this from you. I go, tell me what you want. So he was great. Said, not going to cost you money, just going to give me, give me the opportunity. I says, you'll be, you'll be surprised how the community comes here. We'll build our facility. And that's when it happened. I was deciding because I was going to go and go somewhere else and coach. I go, I just can't do it anymore. You just put the brakes on me. And so those two moments were pretty, I was trying to think about it. Wow, if that happened. And then, wow, that, what happened between then and then is, is pretty amazing. So <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad he talked me out of it because he had my, my resignation for all summer. And then I just thought about it and he came back and he says, let's go, let's do this. So that was a deciding moment. I think every coach might go through it. You never want, I never, you never want to think about resigning right after your season because you're so tired emotionally. You need to let it ride. Yeah. <laughs> you do. And you need to ask people. That about pause, it. you need that. That's part of decision making oh, is pause before you, you have really any do. sort of gut reaction. Because you might make the wrong decision. I almost did. Yeah. And also taking ownership. I mean, with your player situation, well, we're always going to make mistakes. And I think part of it is you have to take ownership of it and oh, you do. And, and throw it out there because um, cause that could have got sideways on you in a hurry with that play. And I, you know, when I evaluate myself, I, I don't talk much after a game, maybe a minute just to get things together. And then we go to practice the next day because kids don't want to hear they're hungry. They want to get out of there. So I, I remember like I'd go to the next practice or if I did something really bad, I'd say it right after the game. But I always want to leave him positive, leave him a we'll take care of this tomorrow let's go because they don't want to hear it they knew whether they played well or not but um i would always i would always open up to him and go you know what i'm gonna tell you this when i sent that guy from third bad mistake see coaches make mistakes too so i'm trying to get better too so you have to understand i go to clinics i'm trying to get better coaching you guys so we're all in the same boat you get it so we just count with each other and we you can have accountability buddies one time one of the players wanted me to be his accountability buddy instead of another player so we did the whole year. So really, was how was that? That was great. It's great. That's I'm awesome. He you. trusted you enough to be his accountability partner. It was awesome. That's awesome. I, I was I was flattered. So instead of another coach meeting, he was my accountability partner. And so the other kids chose a kid on the team, and it works out really well. I mean, they're friends, but then they're able to. It gives them a, I guess, a highway to. Hey, I love you, but you know, don't do that again. You know, we're better than this. And we're in this together. So, I mean, it really helped out. But for him to choose me was, and it was fun. I mean, he was saying, hey, coach, this is what our perception was, what you did. I go, it's good to know. Thank you. I didn't take offense to it. Maybe a better coach. And that's part of a, that's part of positive culture too, correct? Is when the players can start to police each other. Absolutely. And it's hard for them because, you know, it's really hard for them because they're just under such pressure, social media. I don't want him to be my friend. I want you to, a good friend's going to make you accountable, buddy. You'll find that out but i mean allow them to do it i, I gave them an avenue where they could do it but it was great i mean i, I really really enjoyed because he gave me a different perspective than other coach would you're in good shape still do you have any evening or morning routines that you go through because i mean you're in good shape you're good shape physically you're cognitively in great shape do you have any hacks um, that you like keep moving <laughs> When you keep say keep moving, like what what is that for you? Like movement, stretching, walking. Got dogs walking. I got two hunting dogs. They want to get out all the time. Walking. My wife and I walk together. She does a lot of yoga and stuff. So I try to do yoga, but she's a lot better at it than me. <laughs> I do a lot of stretching. Still work out. Still, uh, I do some lessons sometimes with the kids, and um, I work out with my grandson a lot because he wants me to throw a lot of BP to him and all that stuff. So he keeps me active too. So, but you know. 
just keep things per perspective and just go day by day, try to eat well and get some sleep and not take things so serious. <laughs> Where is there to hunt in Arizona? Uh, up north. How far oh, up you north? You can have dove and dove? birds just, to, just north of where I live, but you can up, up north there's all kinds of hunting, but but yeah, you can you have to you have to draw for things for elk and deer and stuff like that. You have to draw to get lucky to go and they have seasons, so that's kind of cool. They have a lot of elk in northeastern Arizona. I mean, if you drive at night, you might run into one. You don't want to run into an elk. Yeah. People sometimes don't even drive at night in certain areas because the alcohol, I mean, they're all over the place. It's unbelievable. You'll see herds of 30. It's incredible. Yeah. When was your first convention? 1972 was not the ABC. It was some sort of convention in Chicago. And I didn't know how to teach catching. And Dwayne Banks was the catching guy from Iowa. Yeah. That's when I saw Gordy Gillespie. I'm going, I don't have any idea how to catch. And so I drove up to Chicago from Vanward in a snowy day for the weekend. And that's when Gordy Gillespie was the opening guy. I'm going, oh my gosh. I, I was out of my seat. It just got better. And then Dwayne Banks pretty much took everything he had about catching. So that was my first one. And then they started going to him after that sporadically. Um, and when I got out here, I went to him a lot. When I got to Arizona. Do you have your Hall of Fame speech ready? I've thought about it. I've got it kind of structured out, but I'm at three to five minutes, you know, I mean, it's a spread. I'm trying to keep it to three. It's a dead spread. I, I just want to honor the people that it's such a we award for me. I mean, I just want to honor the people as, as much as I can in that three minutes that, that cause it's part, it's really part of their award. I mean, it really is. I mean, I'm trying to be overly humble, but it, I mean, I think all those guys think that way. Like I never thought I look at those guys up there and go, wow. Pretty I don't cool. think you get on that stage without being that way. Like I, I really don't with our organization and, and what our organization stands for. I don't think you get on that hall of fame stage if that's not the way that you handle things. I'm sure that's true. I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I got a lot from my dad. I mean, just his morals and growing up in a farming community. I told my wife this the other day, I'm going to honor my community because teamwork was serious. I mean, farms and stuff. I mean, if you didn't have something, you never went without people would pick you up. I grew up that way. So when I came out here to Scottsdale, Arizona, it was a little different. I'm going, what? I mean, we don't do it that way here. Well, we do now. <laughs> We're going to be a team. And so, I mean, I grew up, I grew up so fortunate to understand what sharing and what love and what, what relationships were that I didn't know any other way to do it. So I'm not all that. I just didn't know any, I didn't grow up that way. So I just continued. I think teamwork and loving your players and tough love and making sure everything's okay as much as you can balance your life out. So, I mean, that's, that's how I took into coaching. I mean, teaching, I mean, I love teaching kids. I loved high school kids. I think they're fantastic. When did you have to work on the farm? Growing up. I know, but up, what, at what age did, did your dad put you to work? We well, put me to work in the factory at 14. And that was uh, what type a of factory? factory where, it was a hide, hide factory where you, Got hides from the slaughterhouse. You grade them out, cut them up, and pound them out. Smelly manure, all that kind of stuff. He wanted me to make sure I knew how to work. I was always painting, doing jobs. The only time I really had to go to the farm a lot because the farm was by our house, but it was people that farmed it were other people. But I would go there, and I remember painting twenty-five buildings by a brush one summer. I'll never forget that. But with a brush, big barns, twenty-five buildings. You know what? And working in the hideout, that made you 
that made you understand what work ethic was every day. And then seven thirty to four thirty, and then I go play ball after that. And maybe also figure out that coaching might be a little bit better than skin and hides, right? <laughs> yes. Going to college and getting a degree and coaching is going to be a little bit better than this. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, Eric, what are some final thoughts? I'm just, I'm, I'm just honored to be on your program, first of all, and I really appreciate the youth. And I think that's the heart and soul of what we're trying to do. And people make choices, but I think things come a long way. And I just think, try to take a breath. And, and uh, if you're going into coaching, I always ask myself this question is that, would I want to be coached by me after, after every practice, Would I want to been coached by me today in this game or this practice. And, and I would tell, I would tell coaches, they know there's two different coaches in the world. There's ones that are out for themselves and ones that are out for them. And the kids know it at every level. They'll talk about, I told them, I told Lily, Chris, they don't talk about whether you won the Lily championship. They talk about how fun you were. Do you understand when I talked to Lily? Do you understand that? They don't talk about winning a championship. They talk about how good you were, how much fun you were, and they want to play with you the next year. So I think that's the, everything will take care of itself when you do that. You know, I think you need to be organized. I think you need to get, if you're going to coach, you need to be committed to education and be a better coach. And it's always out. I mean, you guys have done a great job. It's out there more than ever. So there's no excuses there, but people are busy. But um, I do think it's more important than ever in this society to, coach kids and gear them with social media, gear them the right direction because they're getting pulled from all different directions. I feel bad for them. I don't know how they're growing up in this or you probably either. So I think more than any time in our country, coaching is probably the mo one of the most important jobs you ever have because you're going to influence kids. You'll never, you never know until they come back. To me. You know, that was a big influence on me is what you did that day, that day. I mean, some kids will tell me exactly what I said to them 20 years later, exact words. So you think about that. That's an impact, right? That's what I leave coaches with. Don't underestimate your impact with these kids. What you say, and take like you said, take a breath. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, Eric. I appreciate it. I always enjoy our interactions. I'm looking forward to seeing Nashville. Thank you very much. Really appreciate being on with you. Thanks. Coach Kibler is the definition of a servant leader. He's a great example of the type of career you can have in baseball when you care about the people around you. So happy for him being honored this year with the Dave Kylitz Ethics Award and going into the ABC Hall of Fame. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Jim Richardson, Zach Hale, and Matt West and the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, CoachB underscore ABCA, or direct message me via the MyABC app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.